Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My family is very particular when it comes to opening Christmas gifts. When we open gifts, it is not a free-for-all with everyone opening them at the same time. There is no chaos of wrapping paper being torn and thrown about the place. Instead, we take our time. We are meticulous. We are methodical. I'd like to think we are even thoughtful. It is a process. One person in the family plays Santa Claus. That person brings you one gift at a time from under the tree. You are allowed to open that gift only when it is your turn, should you begin prematurely. It is highly frowned upon, and you will be gently reprimanded for your eagerness. When it is your turn, all eyes are on you. You take center stage. There is a protocol. You begin by announcing to the rest of the family who the gift is from. Should you forget, someone, usually the gift giver, because no good deed goes unannounced, will kindly ask you who the gift is from. After the generous giver of the gift has been announced, you may then open your gift. Before the gift opening begins, you select your place to sit. You make sure it is comfortable and that you have plenty of room because you are in it for the long haul. Two or three hours, perhaps. Another particularity of gift giving in my family is what is included on the gift tag. Of course, there is the propriety and the necessity of writing to whom the gift is for and from whom the gift was given. But also included on some of the gift tags, especially if it is a big gift or a meaningful gift, is a short piece about the gift, perhaps a clue, if you will, about what is inside. For instance, about six or seven years ago, I received a gift from my parents, and on the tag this was written, Dad and I think this old house 
will grow to have even more meaning for you and Sarah as the years go by. The gift was a Wyatt Waters painting of St. Andrew's Cathedral, the place where Sarah and I were both confirmed, married, John Owen was baptized, and I was ordained a deacon and a priest. On the back of that painting that now hangs in our dining room, there is still taped that gift tag with those words. A second example is from this past Christmas, only a few short weeks ago. I received a gift from my parents that said this on the tag. We found this looking for something else. I could tell that it was something that had been framed from the feel of the gift as I waited for my turn. What the devil could she have found that was worthy of being framed, I thought. I opened the gift, and it was my degree from Mississippi State. My father responded, congrats, son, you graduated. <laughs> my mom said, well, now you have proof that you actually graduated from Mississippi State besides that chip bowl helmet you have sitting on the shelf in your office. It's true. What had been lost was finally found, and I was very excited. For some time, we had looked all over for my degree and could not find it anywhere. I looked in all the places I possibly could have stored it. My mother looked in all the places she thought she possibly could have stored it. Even when my parents moved, which is always a time that lost things reveal themselves, it was nowhere to be found. I had counted it as lost for good and that people would simply have to take my word for it that I graduated from Mississippi State. Not only had my degree been found, but it was framed already and ready to be hung on the wall. You see, that degree is a part of my story. Embedded in that degree is not just an accomplishment, but it represents lasting friendships, memories, and stories to tell for many years to come. It is not purely an academic item to me. That degree now hanging on the wall in my office is a small token of who I am, where I have been, and of who I have become. It is a piece of me. It is a token of my identity. Perhaps you have something like that. We all have items like this, items that tell our story, items that identify us. They may be small and cheap or large and priceless. These items are dear to us. We hold fast to them. We don't want to lose them because we don't want to lose that piece of our identity. And we don't want that part of our story to disappear into the abyss. These items may have been passed down to us by family members. They may have been something we accumulated ourselves. These items tell our story. Stories of friendships formed and memories created. Stories of accomplishments and yes, perhaps even failures. Stories of love, stories of sorrow, stories of joy and perhaps even sadness. These items are a piece of us. They are a small token of who we are, where we have been, and of who we have become. These items are tokens of our identity. A few years ago, I went to my niece's baptism at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. When we were doing baptismal preparation, the associate priest talked about remembering our baptism as claiming our identity. He said society would rather we forget about our baptism. 
Society would rather the anniversary of our baptism pass each year without an ounce of remembrance. He said we should remember the anniversary of our baptism. We should give thanks for it. We should celebrate it. We should give it the same recognition as our birthday because our baptism is our story. It is a token of who we are and of who we have become. It is a token of our identity. On this day, on this evening, when we tell again the old, old story of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, I ask you to recall your story. I ask you to claim your identity. I ask you to remember your baptism. What was the date of your baptism? Who baptized you? Where were you baptized? Were you christened or dumped? Who are your godparents? What do you remember about that day? If you were baptized as a baby, then I ask you to remember your confirmation instead because our confirmation is simply a continuation of our baptism. So where and when were you confirmed? What bishop confirmed you? What do you remember about that day? We have items that identify us and tell our story, such as my degree from Mississippi State. However, our true identity lies in our baptism. The story of who we are and who we belong to can be found in the waters of baptism. Just as Jesus was claimed by God at his baptism, so were you claimed by God at yours. The tearing apart of the heavens was often seen as a medium for divine communication in the Old Testament. So no, at your baptism, you did not see it. No, at your baptism, perhaps there was no voice. But when you were baptized, the heavens were torn apart and God claimed you. Your identity, your story, is that you belong to God. Remember your baptism. Celebrate it. Remember that you have been marked as Christ's own forever. And there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from his love. Amen.